0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Andrew Beam. Today we're, we're we're rounding out. We're finishing out our magnetic movie villain series. It's part three, but it's our top two uh, magnetic movie villains. I know our, our number twos are a little bit different, so we'll at least be able to have a little bit sort of a separate discussion on that, but our number ones are actually the same, so that'll be fun. There's a there'll be some agreement, which they're been a little bit here, but <laughs> indeed. So You know, at this point, we've been
1: through the majority of our top fives. You know, if you're just joining us here, my number five through three, number five for me was Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Number four for me was Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. Number three was Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Um, Beam, what what have you discussed thus far?
0: Vincent from Collateral collateral was my number five. five. Wonderfully played by Tom Cruise, which... So a lot of time has passed since we've done this. A pandemic happened, and since this pandemic happened, we went on a weird Tom Cruise rabbit hole that's going to produce something. Something Good? I don't know. Probably not, but that's okay. But anyways, and then uh, my number four... Was uh, also Anton Sugar. It was Anton Sugar. so we had a nice little conversation about that. And then Eric Killmonger from Black Panther, played by Michael B. Jordan. Indeed, and as we have... For this entire series thus far, we're
1: joined again by our friend and filmmaker, Micah Khan. What's going on, Micah? Hey,
2: (laughs) so sorry about that fiery discussion.
1: So this time we are going to be
0: drinking Dirty Bastard from Founders Brewing Company. As if we couldn't have more than just one, you know, bastard named beer. We need multiple. We need multiple.
2: Yeah, I remember that first one really hurt me, though. Like I, remember I, I don't
0: like, think this one will hurt as I much. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yes. Absolutely. So, so it's a Scotch-style ale, uh, oh, cool. Dirty Bastard. Um, it's 8.5%. It's past noon um, when we're recording this, so I think <laughs> that's did, fine. You did not need to say the time out loud. <laughs> I felt like I did. All right? listen as long as it's
1: past noon we can crack it so uh
2: let's get into it
0: it's already midnight in new zealand if the sun's (laughs) up we can do it all right here we go i got
3: i got my got my church key
1: is very good. Basic it's a game. very smooth, yeah. very smooth beer. I don't I'm, know. I'm
2: sur- I'm very surprised that I like this because I usually hate dark beers. I re- like I'm a Pilsner guy. Like I'm a very basic person. Um yeah. good Pilsner, so but, am I. A good Pilsner
0: so, yeah. is better yeah. so good.
2: Oh uh, but man, but th- this is actually doing something for me. I feel a whole different person. Not like the way.
0: other Imperial bastard punishment. <laughs> no no it wasn't doing that. It's not giving you that kind of feel. No. <laughs> so our number two Bill the Butcher Bill the butcher. Bill the butcher from Gangs in New York. Now, admittedly, Gangs in New York is not a very good movie. It's like, or at least, the, I think the way that it's shot, it's just like.
1: I do think the opening battle sequence is immensely silly, corny not in fuck. a good way. It's just. Yeah. I think when you also take into consideration that this is a Scorsese movie, like you come in with a certain level of expectation. Mm-hmm. And then you got Daniel Day Lewis involved, you got Leo involved, and I think that- You think a powerhouse movie is what's happening. Right. Here? And when you mm-hmm. consider all those elements,
0: I do think it's a bit disappointing. But it, it is entertaining. I do think there are parts of it that are very good, but then there are other parts of it where I'm like, what the fuck is going on?
2: Well you so, gotta you gotta remember that Scorsese is like I guess this is not something you have to remember, but it's it's tough when you go into a Scorsese film, you're going in with an expectation that he's going to do something and do it well, right? But for Scorsese, like he's always been a director that's been challenging his own perception of filmmaking and constantly trying to do something different. And even if it's something um, the same, like The Irishman, he tries to do it differently. Uh, especially like he he's a person who challenges himself to do something to to work harder, and his mentality is. I'm always learning. Like he said, it's a process, not a method, right? Like it's a, and so I will agree. I think that, uh, Gangs in New York, I watched it at a very young age. My dad was a really big Scorsese fan growing up. Uh, I re rewatched it recently and, um, there are parts where I tune out because I'm just like, I don't know what's happening and I don't care. This but movie's way too long. I have long. to it agree with to you to be. that Bill the Butcher I mean, in general, Daniel Day Lewis talk I'm, about uh,
0: challenging themselves.
2: Yeah, uh, Daniel Day Lewis is just one of those actors who can just who really does. Re- he becomes the character, and you feel it. And as cartoonish as some of the scenes feel, like I always think of like this this stupid fight in the beginning. I mean, I there's parts of it I like, and there's parts of it that I hate. Um, but I, it, I, could, I could agree with that like the loading out scene and the, the claws and stuff like that I'm like oh this is, what are you trying to do like you're trying to be an anime if you're trying to be an anime you're doing it wrong but <laughs> like the, I mean I like I mean but again it's it's based on oh so it's actually a pretty cool story about Gangs in New York uh, not, not only is it based on like what like it's um, the
1: slums of New York yeah, in yeah. the late 1600s in the, five points, right? in the five points but
2: Scorsese had the inspiration to make the movie here in Troy New York I forgot about that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you're right.
2: So that's really interesting because he was in the mayor's office at the time and he was standing and he saw a painting of the five points. And he was with this production designer. The production designer recommended the book Gangs of New York. Right. And so he read it and then that's what he was like. He's like, You would literally like this this book that's based on like it's during this time. And um and so that's what inspired him to make Gangs of New York. He was Mm. standing uh, in front of that painting in the mayor's office of Troy, New York. I don't know where, uh, I don't know if it's the same mayor's office, but I've been dying to find no, a painting to it see it. it can't
0: be. Judging um, by when, because that city hall, Right. I could take it to where it once stood. It got yeah. taken down. In a very controversial manner.
2: I'm just curious to see what happened to that painting. I want to, I want to like, or that, that photo or whatever. The like, painting we should that just painting that down. inspired gangs in New York. We, yeah.
0: We need to track that down. Yeah. He talks so.
2: about it pretty intensely in his behind the scenes of like the movie. Like he's like, he mentions in Troy, New York, cause he was filming, uh, what was the age of innocence here? No shit. He filmed age of innocence in Troy. Yeah. I think it was age of innocence. I'm, I'm I, is that a Scorsese film? I don't remember.
1: Age of innocence is yes. Yeah. for sure. Um, so to go back to what you mentioned, though, about Daniel Day-Lewis, because that is really the focus of our conversation here is Daniel day Lewis's transformation right. into Bill the Butcher. Or and, any
0: character he truly does. For <laughs> sure.
1: Um, for sure. And I think, you know, obviously this time we're going to focus on Bill the Butcher and <laughs> right. how, how he
0: becomes just evil he's just so ruthless man like that's and, and and he does it so well like he's just sort of like the swashbuckling character who has like a decent amount of charm to him right horrifically racist right, but uh, but, that,
2: but that's the thing is is that his evilness is rooted in racism it's, it's yeah it's it's, rooted it's in all that, yeah at all in is. that idealism like the ideology of racism that that true americans are better than the Irish, the dead rabbits. Right? Any
1: outsiders is just not appropriate right. to bring in here.
0: And Absolutely, like, un- unlike other villains that we have discussed or the people that have been on this list, he didn't really have much of a good point. It was no, very straightforward, narrow minded. Well, no, it was just like, Hey, let's keep this going. Let's no no outsiders. We're right. gonna keep things the way they're I they mean, are.
2: other than Shagur, I feel like this is the other straightforward villain of, of a movie. Like, right, this guy is there's not much redeeming factors to him other than like the way he treats Leo's character is like that father figure, like that flawed father figure esque right. right. character where you're like, Oh, he's like you get it, like you feel it. At some points. And you feel the you betrayal feel he feels. Yeah. When he realizes that he's like the son of um William Neeson's character. you. And that's just a testament to Daniel Day-Lewis. That you feel the pain that character feels when
0: he's really like, oh, the, the guy I've been mentoring and grooming
2: is actually out to kill me.
0: Yeah, you don't really it, ever have much sympathy or empathy for his character. But oh, like, right. right, you at least feel the emotion. You, you feel, feel the, the warmth he
1: has yeah, for Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you also... It's it's like you said, like because of Daniel Day Lewis and because of his performance, mm. you're able to feel that father son right. relationship, and you're actually kind of affectionate towards it, right. and you're like, oh, you know, okay, and and that's a that's such a
2: you, you don't to, want that yeah. to go. That's such a testament to Daniel Day Lewis because a lot of the times those things are lost in movies, like. Right everyone tries to do those little subtle things those little subtle like relationship things like and they don't say it out loud in this movie like no but it happens
1: but, within the conversations it happens the within looks, the visuals and the, absolutely yeah, exactly. and,
2: and a lot of filmmakers and a lot of actors they they try so hard to get those and rarely ever get it
1: right it, it and, just doesn't work because the right. actors aren't able to convey or elicit that range of emotions from an audience mm-hmm. or that reaction from an audience like a lot of times it's they're just evil and you hate them. So yeah. even when they're trying to do something right, you're just like, ah, oh, fuck that. Yeah. But here, because of the talent involved with Daniel Day Lewis right. and Leo,
2: you feel the humanity of the character, absolutely. which is the worst thing you should, you can feel about a villain is feel their humanity because he, de- he doesn't really have a redemption until maybe he dies. No, does he, no, does there's he no have a moment he
0: doesn't kill Amsterdam. Like you know, like he 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 holds back in the one scene and lets him go kind of thing. But
2: yeah. at the end of the war, the, like the like after all the dust is settled, doesn't he keep trying to stab him? Yeah. No. I no,
1: mean, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. No. He does not have a redemption. Like right, he no. he gives Amsterdam a chance in that moment, but he doesn't have ever a redemption. It's just you know, it's he, all bad. He, but yeah. he dies kind of a triumphant villain's death, mm-hmm. almost like Killmonger, in the sense that he goes out, right? And he's still, you know. And he's not—he's not right like Killmonger is. Right. He has some points. Like he's go, he has no point, going down. He doesn't. But change. he's going down, right. and he hasn't changed. Like he mm-hmm. is a villain through and through. And so he has that kind of villain's right. death at the end.
2: And I definitely think that's part of the reason why I don't think I like Gangs of New York is because it's such a black and white movie. Like here are the villains, and here are the good guys. And I just don't think it was that. I don't think that was that simple. Um, not saying that daniel day lewis like needed that complexity like he needed to be the like complex but i will say that for such a a dark villain for his acting to bring out any sense of like magnetism right. um, any kind of humanity is insane
1: yeah for sure it's because
2: insane like and i hate to even like cuz like again like i like it when a villain like kind you can kind of relate to what they, they're doing uh, or they maybe have a slight point, but they're going at it with like a re- the really the worst way possible. And like, I hate to even say this about a character who's like literally re- rooted in racism. <laughs> but the fact that like D- Daniel Day-Lewis can bring out anything from that other than just mustache twirly villain is insane to me. And that's a testament to his act. Yeah, it wasn't
0: a caricature of what a villain right, could be. It was, right, right. And I it was I think, a real thing. I think Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel
1: Day-Lewis does this in almost every movie. I mean, he does it in There Will Be Blood as well. right yeah, like, yeah. That is an absolutely despicable character, but mm. the relationship he has with his deaf son, at
0: least early yeah. on, like, you really... You actually have empathy for that character? It's weird, because, yeah, there's not much about him it's that's, like, all that redeeming, but... It's the acting. It's the like, acting. It's like, right. What it's he's like, able to
2: bring out of it. He's a here. shitty fucking person in There Will yeah. Be Blood, which is a whole different,
0: like, story,
2: but, like, I... It's, I it's just like you watch because it's so magnetized. Like he's a magnetic actor, exactly. Literally, period. Like yeah, he's not. Daniel Day Lewis is not just like a magnetic villain in this. He's a magnetic actor in general. Like he brings out something in these characters that I've I yet to I I don't think you see often in film. It's it's a one in a million thing. That you see an actor and the only other person I could compare it to is like someone like Amy Adams, I think, um, Mm. has that magnetism that any role she plays, you're like, well, fuck, I'm watching
1: this, you know, almost. That's an interesting thing about Daniel Day-Lewis is like he is often going so over the top. But it never feels like overacting. It never feels like it tips over. Right. And and that's the thing is like he's playing these over-the-top characters, it's but purposeful. the acting is never to the point where it becomes like a character right. or like flips into being like, oh, this is just this is right. This is comical, how mm-hmm. like ridiculous he is. Yeah. And it never flips that way. And I think like you said, that's just a testament to Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah.
2: And then I think the only other person I can it's like, so Daniel Day Lewis um amy C. adams, adams and- uh, yeah uh tilda swinton would be my other oh tilda i don't think i've ever she's seen a character so where she goes over the like she goes big yeah but she never goes over the top just like day
1: lewis like her she's, yeah her and michael clayton dude i was is, just yes. about to say that fucking incredible. but then you can see
2: like the little like the little opposite of her character in snowpiercer or, right like, right like she is like and then she plays gabriel and in, in constantine and she kills it like like
0: she she's, just, she's actually very like very underappreciated. Oh, so I feel underappreciated. like as an actor, yeah. I
1: mean, I think it, I think it's part to do with audiences' reactions to her, but I also think it has to do with the role she takes. Mm-hmm. She's not ever taking like a big league role. She's mm-hmm. like a character actor through and right. through. But if
0: you don't have her, there's a huge gap. Oh, it's I feel a huge, huge feel gap it in the movie. Missing. Like
1: she elevates every single mm-hmm. movie that she's in in a really incredible way. Tilda Swin, absolutely. I was going to call her the sixth amazing. man,
0: but you can't call her that.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, she's she's Scotty Pippen on every, go- every, go- on every movie. <laughs> she might not be the star, but she is what makes that team win.
2: Yeah, and I don't really... I don't really... Kn- I can't think of any actors, like, off the top of my head, other than, like, maybe the three that I just said, that really embody a role so much that it brings out even the worst characters' humanity. So,
1: Beam... Why don't you uh, tell us about some of Bill the Butcher's most magnetic scenes?
0: So definitely one of the best was the poker scene where he first meets Amsterdam, or -hmm. Bill first meets Amsterdam. Just the way that he carries himself. And it goes into one of my favorite quotes. Amsterdam comes up, he introduces himself, says his name. He's like, Amsterdam, I'm New York. Don't you never come in here empty handed again. You got to pay for the pleasure of my company. Oh, fuck. Like just some of the like great quote. It, it is a great example of just like right. build a butcher. The confidence that he has, mm. the way that he's able to hold court and just sort of command the room, mm. not even just as an actor, but just as the character itself mm. uh, is able to do in the scene. I, I, I love that one.
2: That's a good one. You definitely learn a lot about the character from that. Like, you know, that he wants, he keep. he's a person who's after power. Like, he, like, and that's the reason why and he's, he's a obsessed butcher. with his own story. Right. He's, that's why he's the butcher, right? Like, that's why he's like a person who will take your life if you cross him because he has that much control over you. Like, right. Like, yeah.
0: you know. And then the other one I have is, um, where he describes to Amsterdam the killing of his father, essentially. Yes. And it's good just because of the the detail that he goes into it, but it's also too, because he embellishes parts of it, like parts of it that like, you know, make it seem that much more fantastic or Mm -hmm. what have, you know, the character itself is obsessed with his own story, his own folklore and and what have you. The thing is, you know, what you have to think about is, is that an actual
1: embellishment or, is he so twisted in his own mind and so obsessed with his own story that that's actually his retelling and recalling of it. Like that's how he believes it happened as opposed to like purposefully embellishing it.
0: But just as him and as Daniel Day-Lewis just delivering like on a really good, I wouldn't call it a monologue, but just sort of that whole description of how he killed the priest is just phenomenal. It's gripping. It's, it's so good. And this is kind of hard because I actually have a few, like the first assassination attempt on Bill, where he just like, you know, he gets he gets shot, mm-hmm. but he immediately is just like able to turn around, kill like he's so quick. Like you see, also his skill as a killer too. Right. Sorry, I mean, around. like
2: his his sheer will as a racist is just.
1: <laughs> There's that
0: too. <laughs> Actually, I would say in place of that though, the knife throwing scene with Jenny. So that's that's mine. That, that's your number one. That that was the
1: one that I was going to put forth and. Um, Oh, no, that scene is so good. That's my favorite scene because- It's so tense. It is so tense. And he's such a talented showman, and Daniel Day-Lewis is such a talented actor that you actually don't know for a bit whether he's just putting on a show or whether he's really sending a message. And then Mm. it becomes abundantly clear that he is sending a fucking message.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I was a little lost. I thought it was still just him being like, well, no, 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 this is part of the act the sis.
1: Well that that's the thing is he's so convincing but like i know he, he was very much sending a message and that's that's it for me i love right. it. i love that scene i think it's incredible and i think the tension like you mentioned is is really palpable well it's just scene. it
0: builds yes. it really builds to mm-hmm. a very uncomfortable part so in terms of my what what i think is my number one I think I got to go with him describing, I, there's just something, the way that he describes killing the priest, maybe it's, maybe this says more about me than it does anything else. <laughs> but uh, the way he just, the way he delivers that line and just, the character almost like drops that sort of swagger. And it's just very like proud, kind of the way that he was able to do that. And you, mm-hmm. and you get to see him not try. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe that literally is just how he recollects it. And he's just delivering, He's he's just delivering it with, it's stripped down. Yeah, but it's powerful. So I I, I, I love that scene. And it's just a great bit of acting from him, too. But it's hard because that knife throwing scene is so good. Absolutely. For sure. So I've got I got a few quotes because that was the other thing about this movie. Some of the quotes that he had for him. So obviously a different movie yeah
2: like bill the butcher is in a different yeah right exactly there's a whole
0: other movie happening around him but it's like let's just make this all about bill yeah Um, running
1: iso plays for daniel day lewis and be like you go do your thing yeah yeah so So as as stand over here
0: as an example well there's i've got actually probably two of these maybe all of them are kind of have racist undertones or we're just they're racist but uh, yeah exactly there's no
2: undertones with bill the butcher is the thing is like
0: so one of them, obviously, that I had was in the, in the poker scene where they first meet. Where no, yeah. yeah, Amsterdam, I'm New York. Uh, the second one is when he's talking. I think he's talking to someone else. I don't know if he's talking directly to Amsterdam. I can't recall. But it's just like, on the seventh day, the Lord rested. But before he did that, he squatted over the side of England. And what came out of him was Ireland. <laughs> no offense, son. Oh, shit. Which, yeah. but you chuckle. Like, I, you chuckle. Dude, like listen, I'm an Irishman and that <laughs> so am I. That is a funny joke. That is, that is hilarious. <laughs> and then I've got it so those are the two. And then I've got a kind of a tie sort of with these or like whether they should be in the list or not. The one where it's where he just says he's like I'm going to teach you to speak English with this fucking knife. Oh shit. Yeah. Fuck. which That one's a lot. And then the last one I think when he's talking about Amsterdam he goes I'll festoon my bedchamber with his guts. If you can fit festoon in a in a <laughs> in a quote or just anything
2: accurately and well,
0: Daniel T. Lewis saying
2: that line. Yeah. who else imagine would be saying that? Imagine anybody else. Imagine Nicolas Cage saying that line, or like imagine Tom Cruise saying that line. Like
0: well, Tom Cruise, would, I don't know if he knows festoon.
2: I I just don't think it works unless it's Daniel Day Lewis. Like he, no. it doesn't make any sense that it works. But that is the alchemy
1: of th- this actor. Is just like what the fuck, dude? You can have him do anything, including
0: use the word festoon in a movie, and it's fine. <laughs> like like one of my favorite words is kerfuffle. If he had said that, <laughs> might have brought me to climax. Like I don't know. If- <laughs> No, but
1: anyone else says kerfuffle in a movie, and it's automatically a humorous line. It's right. not at all threatening, but I, Daniel Day-Lewis could make kerfuffle threatening.
0: I worked it into the lead of an article I wrote once, and someone someone literally circled the word in the lead and sent it back to me, and they just— I, I forget who it was, and they just put a line, and they just said, nice. They, were just like-
1: <laughs> they weren't even editing you. They were just, great job. Good, job. Good, job. Good, for,
0: good for you. So my favorite out of all of those— I think it's Dude. I think it's the on the seventh day the lord rested just because like again encapsulates him as this immense racist right but it was kind of funny every line
2: of that movie that Daniel Day-Lewis says further tells you more and more about everything you need to know about him including his childhood and like you know everything I would argue that you know every single thing about the butcher right at the end of that movie there's no secrets left about him
1: right and and It's not even like they told the whole whole story. It's all through Daniel Day Lewis's acting that it just comes through. Yeah, you know
2: everything about just the physical the physicalization of his acting, and is like and the line specifically written again. He's in a different movie. Um, Like you, (laughs) tell tell me you know anything about Leo's character other than he wants revenge. Like you don't.
0: Like I don't think this is like one of Leo's like subpar roles like i don't i don't think this is very good for him subpar
1: roles and subpar performances leo yeah he didn't do great great in this and i i do love leo yeah but
2: but see this is the thing i was saying earlier is like say that for any day lewis movie like you you can and that's the difference is that leo is a good actor yeah and in the right roles he is great but daniel day lewis is great no matter what like it's insane like so Corey, do you got a favorite
1: the quote, yeah, yeah, they it's squatted a- and <laughs> took a dump and it was Ireland. Yeah, yeah I, I, I gotta
2: mean, say the knife one because that's terrifying. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm yeah. Take this knife I get that. I'm gonna, you gonna teach English. you
2: English with this knife. Like,
0: oh, oh fuck. Well, oh, fuck okay, right. I will. I will start now.
3: Raise down a stone. <laughs> <Ordering> <laughs> <it now. laughs>
0: <laughs> where,
3: where where do, do you, I get?
2: Do you have a Rosetta Stone? Can I,
1: <laughs> Could you help me? Um, all right. So any um, random thoughts or observations? I actually have
0: quite a few. All right. Um, I'm I'm I'm, not, I'm gonna kind of blur the lines in terms of random thoughts and observations and questions. Um, one thing I noticed, and what I'm kind of curious about, Bill the Butcher doesn't seem to age at all from when he kills the priest and sees Amsterdam as a child. To when Amsterdam comes to kill him. I don't think he's aged one bit. I think he might have more facial hair. That's about it. Does he? I don't remember. Or is he just... Maybe. I don't know. Well,
1: maybe it's just that period. Like, I don't know. I feel like from age 25 to 41, I'm going to look exactly the same, apart from maybe, like, probably putting on a few pounds.
2: I don't think a lot of the older directors really give a fuck about
0: that. (laughs) I I just felt (laughs) like time... Well, I noticed that, like, maybe Martin Scorsese doesn't, maybe in some instances, Mm. at least with... The Irishman, he clearly did. I haven't well, seen Irishman that well, yet, but I it's know about it. because
2: all the people in it were already in their eighties. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how do I how do I relive the truth of my of them younger? Like, yeah. You know. um, the other thing I have... you know what? Uh, I gotta say something about Irishman real quick. Yeah, is like that's such a dumb fucking thing you did, Scorsese. Like, I hadn't watched like, it. That, the aging is the dumbest fucking thing because <laughs> literally, like. Like, half the actors in The Godfather, like, became famous because they played younger versions of, the, like, the, the bigger characters. Right, yeah. Like, and you literally made De Niro's career. He won an Oscar for The Godfather Part Two, and then literally went on to make any other movie he fucking wanted. Like, so, like the fuck Scorsese, you should know that, like, you should know that, like, if you cast a younger actor in, like, a role that is the younger version of a big-name actor, like, Marlon Brando was to, mm. like, Scorsese, to uh De Niro, like, you should, especially because you're friends with Coppola, like, it's no excuse, yeah. um, but you well, should... I
1: think, I think you're right, but I do think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about, you know, Scorsese just... Always wants to take chances, and if mm, there's fair. this new if there's this new technology, I can play around with, and like I think the let's problem do, let's go is that it.
2: they should have had younger actors playing the de aged bodies. Agreed, because they,
1: the physical scene where Robert De Niro stomping out the person, oh looks yeah, he looks so like a ridiculous. ridiculous, exactly, so and ridiculous. I think
2: that like, and I think they did it for the Vietnam flashback, like they had a younger actor's body uh, playing. And I think that if they had just done that, like instead of taking the moments to have De Niro play, play the younger versions of himself, just have a younger actor and then do the de aging, like put De Niro's face over it. Like I don't care, right. but like the physical, like, I think The Irishman lacked from a great from great physical acting.
0: You're right. Other Scorsese
2: takes chances, but they don't so, always work. No, they don't. So I, I got
0: a few. I got a few. A uh, couple more. <clears throat> I understand the time. You know, maybe clothing wasn't the most optimal, but out of everyone, Bill the Butcher seems the most sweaty and all the time, all the time, <laughs> like he's the, just so incredibly, swe- like his hair is always looks like it's drenched in sweat. Like I could go up there if I wanted well, to like fill a cup of to sweat. I you, but that,
2: the heat of like the, the fire and heat of all that racism underneath <laughs> him is just,
0: it's just keeping him in a perpetual sweat. I thought you were going to tell me the fact that he's like a butcher, but like, I no, he's cutting meat. I, like it should be cold down there. What the fuck is he doing? Yeah. One well, and one last lingering question. Um, so there's like the scene where I think like I don't know if they celebrate or what it was, but Bill the butcher he he wakes up with two nude women just on top of him, mm-hmm. but he's fully clothed. Yeah. So my question is. Did he just use them as blankets or did he have a threesome? Like, what happened there? I, I, I For some reason, I just saw that and I'm like, he either uses them as blankets
2: because that's how he sees people. He sees people as meat.
0: <laughs> as, well, this is a good question. Like, he either sees
2: people as just meat to keep him warm or to do things for him, the same way he sees Cameron Diaz's character, right? Like, because he's got a thing mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's
0: just a weirdo and had to put clothes back on after sex.
2: Fully go, clothed. It could
1: go either way and I would Because uh, he was not. Ne- fully because-
0: clothed and for some reason when he goes down to like talk to Amsterdam, instead, like, you know, most people would wear like a robe, maybe like a towel or something. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know what people do when they go to immediately talk to someone after they just had sex. But right. he wraps himself in the American flag as if it's like keeping him warm. Like he's goes down uh, having a conversation uh, with him. per he's not trying to be subtle there. Yeah, I know. Oh boy. Any last thoughts on um, Gangs of New York? American Accessionalism. I a, don't understand why he's so sweaty. <laughs> again, it's the embers of hate <laughs> boiling his body to a fever pitch. Okay. We. Uh, what's your number two here? My number two,
1: speaking of racists, is Colonel S.S. Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, oh played by Christoph Waltz. Um, God, he's so good. So good. And I think... I have a couple of kind of big picture thoughts before I get to some of my scenes and quotes and et cetera. The first is Quentin Tarantino, at least for me is someone that I would say I have season tickets for
3: mm-hmm.
1: in the sense that anytime he has a movie, I am there in the first week and mm-hmm. I am watching it and Inglorious Bastards was no different. Yeah. You know, personally for me, I do think that Inglorious Bastards is his best movie um, front to back. He peaked. Yeah, this is his peak. Yeah. And, you know, what the interesting thing about it is it kicks off this last part of his career that we're currently in, you know, there's kind of these phases to his career. And this last part has been the revisionist history part of his career. Mm-hmm. You've got Inglorious Bastards, you know, you've got Django Unchained, mm-hmm. The Hateful Eight, and now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, all these kind of revisionist history, revenge fantasy pieces. Mm-hmm. Um and Inglorious Bastards really started that all. And I think it's I think it's produced some of his best movies. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I love Inglorious Bastards. Those are both in my top five Tarantino. I I I think they're phenomenal.
2: I will agree with you that Inglorious Bastards is not only one of the best movies ever made, but his peak as a director and part, and it's because all the characters worked and they were
0: all in the same movie. I would say <laughs> I still love that referring yeah with Bill the Butcher different movie bro <laughs> different,
2: dude same page different book like yeah. <laughs> but I will say Landa is like from the from the word go the way they intro, they introduce I I think that there's a there's a certain cleverness in the way Tarantino directed that opening scene and and if, if for people who, who lack maybe a sense of film grammar you don't because you feel it like I I know that a lot of people film is a very complicated thing, but a good director can really guide you through a story really well. And you, and the whole point is that you shouldn't have to know you're being guided. You just have to feel it. And I think that opening scene is like the pinnacle of directing almost.
1: Right. And I think, I think that's exactly, you know, that'll lead me into my most magnetic scenes. And the first one has to be that opening scene oh. with Hans Landa and Monsieur Lat Padit and his yeah. family. And it is the thing, like, you get a lot of films where they have, like, a gimmick. And mm-hmm. even the most non-fluent in mm-hmm. terms of film language can understand it. Like yeah. 1917 with the non-cutting and the yep. oners and so on. But with Tarantino, especially in this particular scene, because Tarantino has his flourishes. But in yeah. this particular scene, all the things that he's doing as a director are so subtle Yeah, in terms of building the tension That it's really just an incredible scene because it's just two people talking for twenty fucking minutes, and yet you don't feel that. No, you don't. It it feels like an action scene because the tension is ratcheted up so high and so gradually. Right.
0: and what's happening
1: delicately in the way
0: (laughs) he just, yeah, just the way that he delivers it. Well, and you know, and
2: it's delicate because I think that. Again, that scene is the best scene that Tarantino's ever directed, ever. That whole that first eighteen minutes, eighteen minutes, something
1: like that. Like something right yeah, along it's there, a yeah.
2: long scene, but it works, and it's because like from the word like you know, uh, Monsieur Lapetite is 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 chopping a stump, right? Like yeah. he's like chopping at this thing that's in the middle, like taking roots on his property, right? Like how the Germans have occupied France. Like it's it's mm. so such a subtle like stupid little like Tarantino esque like uh, detail. Uh, I always find it funny because it's like it's about removing the things that have planted roots in your property, right? Like for like it's the Nazis in France, right? right. And then there's a scene where the daughter hears the, the the cars coming, and we see it, and then he sits down, and actually like you see that the the shot of uh, Monsieur Lapetit uh, half of half of the frame covering him. And his, like, non-reaction to the scene. And then the the daughter is panicking. So it's almost insinuating, like, in his mind, he's panicking too. But it's through the daughter. Like, it's, it's such a subtle, like, subtle choice as a director to show, like, how he's feeling through the daughter. Right? And then, like... And then the, the the brilliance of that scene is like when, when when Hans Landa pulls up, right? He's in a wide shot, right? He's small in frame. He's this tiny little guy. this little German guy. was like, okay, cool. Are you, Mister And You're like, who the fuck is this guy, right? Like, and then he wa- and he does a very specific thing. He has Landa walk through his space. He walks all the way to Mister Lapatin. So it shows that Landa is walking into his actual space, moving past the axe, which is which is subtly in the background to show like there's a threat here. Like there's a threat in the background of the scene. Right. There's a sharp object, right? Like there's all these little subtle directing things that he did. And then we go inside, right. And he like meets the daughters, but he only acknowledges the daughter that has blonde hair and blue eyes, mm-hmm. which is another thing. Cause like, like, and then we, and then we get to the scene, like, like where like he really starts to like uh, talk to the character and you, and the moment, like the, in, and it's just in a way that he's like placed on in the frame, too. Is like Hans Landa is still really, really small in frame if you really look at it. And the, the farmer is still really large in frame until he's not. I and mean, then you can see the change, you can see the physical change where Hans Landa, the, 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 the spaces flip, right? Like Hans Landa's now on the right of the of the scene to insinuate that he's like like as as a human being like uh, sorry not, as an as an american filmmaker right and americans we read left to right but when you read something right to left it creates a negative it, it, it's uncomfortable to the eye so in film theory when you move something right to left it creates a negative inference to your eye so you associate whatever's moving right to left with bad hmm. right so if you ever notice like in a lot of older movies all the villains are coming into frame right to left like, because it creates a negative inference on your eye and you immediately associate, sorry, I snapped. You immediately as, associate that character with that or uh, antagonist. Like it's something that is going to, and the Tarantino literally turns the table and flips it. Like literally in a camera move, turns the table and makes Londa in the power position. And he gets bigger and bigger in frame. Like it's insane. The level of directing that goes in, that went into the scene is insane.
0: Yeah, no. And it, it's a level I, of detail I didn't pick up on.
2: Oh, this is the, this is the problem with watching movies with me. Is this is the level of detail that I always go into. No, but
0: I but I appreciate it. That's I
1: that's that that. also the thing is even though you don't actually notice those things, you still feel,
2: feel those it. things. That's it's the, the brilliance. His presence scene, and and, and right? just sort of you what know, he's
0: there to do. You're
2: gonna go back and watch the scene and you're gonna go, oh shit, I yeah. see it now. But. Yeah.
1: The whole but you don't even need to consciously it. think about it. You're, you're subconsciously knowing exactly what's happening due to right. what he's doing as a filmmaker. Right. And I think
2: that is the job of a filmmaker is to make sure you feel it and not show it. Like yeah. you're not 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 to tell you how to feel, to show you how to feel, to make you feel it.
1: Exactly. And I think that you know what you're pointing out here is exactly. And I think there are just these little subtle flourishes, not mm. only in the direction but also in the writing of it, and the little things like. When he says, would you mind if I pull out my pipe? And then right, he pull, and pulls out this flamboyant. big fuck off yeah. pipe and it's just him flexing on him mm-hmm. and
0: the equivalent of him taking his dick out and just slamming it. Right, on the exactly. <laughs> just
1: laying it on the table and being like, yeah. And so there's just those things in the writing as well. And that, that, that scene is just absolutely incredible. I do have, and I know this is a lingering question and maybe I should save it to the end, but I don't want to, because I want to no, talk no. about it, it right flow, here. Let it flow. Is at the end, mm. I I think he does, but I want to get what you guys feel about this. I think he just lets Shoshana go because reasonably they could have just gotten in their cars and gone and chased after her mm. and killed her, too. But I think it establishes something about Londa that he more so than anything He's mm. just in it for the thrill of the chase as a character. Eagles, that's Eagles that's his like character. The
0: Before you said that, that's literally what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's the chase that he's after, and like, I mean, and so he just lets her go, and he's yeah.
0: like,
2: "Avwa shoshana." I'll find you some point. Yeah. Like, like, and he's confident that he'll find her at some point. Like, and he does. Well, like, Jesus, like, does he ever? Like, yeah, and I feel like he knows. I feel like he knows the whole time because the, absolutely, and so
1: that that leads me into my second scene is the cafe scene. So yeah. the cafe scene with Shoshana—it's
0: like we're so synced here,
1: exactly. And I feel you. you know, with that, there's where he orders the milk, yeah. and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> He does knows. he knows? Yeah, but it's like, does he? And I think he does because I think it establishes it in that first scene. He's letting her go, and he just keeps stringing her along because he loves making her shit her pants. Right. Um, and it's a game for him.
3: Exactly. It's, it's, it's a and game, that's and, and, and that's, that's what he wants it's to always do. Always
1: been a game for him. And I think it reveals itself in the last scene, and I'll get into that in a bit. Yeah. But you know, the one thing that I really wanted to, um, two things that I really wanted to point out about this scene is he asks about the family and how her aunt and uncle died. And she says, you know, my uncle died in the blitzkrieg and all he responds with is pity. That's Mm. it. Yeah. Just a completely dismissive, Oh, pity. And it's just like, it's really detestable, but he is really delivering it so convincingly and making you hate him in that. But then there's also the bit with the strudel and the cream that is so funny. And also so purposeful in the way that, you know, he makes her wait for the cream and then she eats it. Right. And it's absolutely phenomenal. And you see it on her face for just a split second. But then she remembers, like, I can't enjoy anything in front of this man. Right. And I can't that's show the thing, any joy. Like his
2: whole thing is he wants to take control. It's like like he's a control freak. Absolutely, and A lot of the yeah. themes I see that were co- like a lot of the villains just want control. Yeah, but his is like his control comes in playing games. Like and also like he wants to take joy away from people. He wants to take people's lives. I mean, if he really wanted to be like a hero of the OSS, like he wouldn't have killed um Diane Kruger's character, like I forget her name. Um,
1: Bridget von Hamerschmidt.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, von Hamerschmidt. Like he wouldn't have killed her. Like he would have just been like, "Okay, I want to be part of it." But no, like Yeah, that sorry. that <laughs>
0: scene though in the cafe. That that, that part where, where she's, like, about to go in, and you're just like, wait for the crown?
2: <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's after, he's, he wants that. He's, he gets off on that fucking joy and, uh, of controlling everything that's going on, especially, like, at the end, when he realizes that uh, the Nazis are going to lose, and he jumps ship, so he wants to control the situation. He's like, he, put, he puts the bombs underneath uh, Hitler's
1: feet and he's like well i'm a good
2: guy now and this is how i'm going to control that narrative
1: right and so that takes me right into my last scene is the scene at the theater with bridget Mm Hammersmark. and you know there is what you're talking about and i i want to get into that more but before i just want to talk about how this is probably the funniest scene in the entire movie with gorlami yeah gorlami margaret Dominic cool, cool. de that, that was a
2: good one. That a
3: good
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole scene where he's just fucking with them—he's
2: fucking with them it, so exactly. hard. Like, and
1: it's—it's it's it's so your overreaction
0: to when she tells him that he—he he he had like a, injured a mountain hiking. climbing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> broke my leg in a mountain climbing accident. The laugh, yeah, it's just like, and he's just fucking with them so hard. He knows, man, this exactly, is what,
2: and that's why I'm convinced he knew who Shoshana was.
1: Like, he knows, like, he, he knows everything, yeah. and he, he's just in it for the game. And like you said, and this is what I think makes him so incredibly evil beyond the obvious evil of being associated with the Nazis is he was so evil that he didn't even believe in that ideology all he did was associate himself with the people who were in power. It's he, it's has, a he has no belief system whatsoever. Mm. There's absolutely nothing he believes in. He has no point whatsoever except for personal gain. Right. So when it was positive and good for him, mm. he was in with the Nazis. Right. When it's positive and good for him, he flips and he's like, I'm going to kill the Nazis right. and, that, and I'm going to join you. back
2: to the thing where he says about nicknames, right? He's like, do you know what the, the, they call me? And Because like, to him, it feeds his ego. Exactly. And as at soon as as the it beginning, ego, it's like, I'm
3: done.
1: Like, at the beginning, he makes Monsieur Lotte pedit say that he is the Jew Hunter, yeah. and it's because he's taking pride in it. But by the end, he's like, Do you control the nicknames your enemies bestow upon you? Aldo the Apache and the Little Man. Yeah. <laughs> and that seems really funny, too. Mm-hmm. But it also establishes exactly who this person is. Once that nickname doesn't suit him anymore, mm-hmm. no, I don't want it. Yeah. And it's it's the pure evil of his character that he is only out for self interest at all times mm. that makes him both so magnetic and fascinating to yeah. me. And yeah, the one the last thing that I just wanted to point out real quick. Oh, Christoph Waltz would be another actor who's always
2: really good in his roles, except for Alita. He wasn't really good in that. But well, once, but uh, he's always playing a certain
1: version
3: of yeah, the I same kind of hammy
2: character. I take it back. I take it um, back. He's the a last actor, thing.
3: But.
1: And this is kind of a quote, but I want to say it in this scene is I think it's so funny that he says, that's a bingo. Yeah. Is, is that how you say it? You just say bingo. Bingo. <laughs> bingo.
0: <laughs> I, that's actually one of the quotes I have. Bingo. How fun. I digress. Where were we? Yeah, let's make a deal.
2: I yeah. always say that. Like I always That's one of the quotes that I always say whenever something goes
1: right. I'm like,
0: that's a bingo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's such a great quote. So those are my three scenes. Micah, I'm assuming you're going with the first one.
0: Do we all need yes. to ask this question? Sorry? We know we all know what the the best scene is. It's the yeah, it's the opening one. It's the opening one. Like why? I mean, why the would we? Opening have a is so strong. You want to watch the
2: rest of the movie, and the yeah. rest of the movie stays. I wouldn't say it's as strong as the opening, it but It keeps that energy. it goes.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and. I will say that I, I personally think this the last scene is a close second mm-hmm. just because yeah. of how humorous it
0: is and how sinister how, how
1: sinister and funny at the same exact time. Right. I love that balance and I, I think it's a really great scene. I do have two quick quotes, and two yeah. of them come from that opening scene, which I think is probably uh, indicative of why it's so great. The first one is, "Oh rumors, I love rumors. Facts can be so misleading, where rumors, true or false, are often revealing. I really like that one, and I think it's a really intelligent quote. Um, I feel like
0: you turned him into Hannibal Lecter.
1: Yeah, I might have, because I'm not great (laughs) at voice work, but just (laughs) deal with it. The second one is, I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. That's so good. That's a great line. Yeah,
2: this is definitely Tarantino's best written movie as well. Best
1: written, best directed. It's just... Honestly it's it's his best movie. It, yeah it I, is his best movie. Hands it's down. it's so good. I um, will say
2: that I also I not just the ending scene like I love the opening but I also like how the last scene of the movie directly reflects the opening. It's literally him doing the exact opposites, but visually it's almost the same. Like we go into the wide shot there in the woods with, the, instead of chopping down this, like, you know how we're talking about the stump, right? And the roots, they're in the forest, right? Full of, full of trees now. Yeah. Like, and then what do they do? They take out a sharp object and rip the roots out of the problem. They put the Nazi symbol on his head. Right, right? Yeah. So you can never not acknowledge that you're a part of this. You're a part of the roots that took, took over this. Like that, that is an insane level of directing and writing. Like to acknowledge that the ending actually reflects the opening really perfectly is insane. Like, yeah.
1: So um, because you kind of led me into it, I just want, I have a few things from that ending scene. The first yeah. thing I just want to say is the fucking audacity of Quentin Tarantino to have Brad Pitt stare into ca- the, the camera and just go, you know what? I think this might just be my masterpiece. Yeah, 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 The fucking audacity. And he's right. I think it is his masterpiece. Yeah, and he knew it. And, and fuck you, Tarantino. Calls a shot. And he calls a shot at like fucking Babe Ruth. And that's what makes him one of the greatest. And like. I bet she had an alt take, though. I bet he you did, had. One. He it was, did, it in like, case. Well, you know, <laughs> it
2: was like, you just need more practice. Kid. Fuck no. <laughs>
1: fuck no. This is not it. Um, <laughs> and so the other things are my two lingering questions from this movie. And the first is or actually really only I bet you there's an alt take that just says
2: it doesn't have to be perfect just has to get the job done
1: (laughs) (laughs) but no I really only one lingering question and it's what happens with Hans Landa's deal because he made this deal with a house on Nantucket does he get his house on Nantucket what's his life like now living with a Nazi symbol carved into your forehead on Nantucket I just figured he got killed.
2: Does he? I d- figured he just like I just figured that he, he killed him. Like, yeah. why would he even let a Nazi on on to, into America after like this guy, like these people killed his people? Like, well, that makes like I I feel like Aldo is probably in a military prison somewhere
1: because he murdered, like he went against orders. Possibly, but I I do think one of the points that Aldo this is has. French. I know, I know. One of the points I think that Aldo has is that, you know, he wants people to know these people are Nazis for the rest of their lives. That's the whole thing with the Nazi symbol on the forehead is if you are going to take that Nazi uniform off and renounce it, we don't like that. Yeah. So I'm giving you this mark to live with forever and now you have to deal with it. And I think in his mind, at least Aldo's mind, that's worse. So he's going to make him live out his life with that Nazi symbol on his forehead and now you have to deal with it. Right. So- I don't know. That was my one lingering question.
2: I kind of want to know if you got the house on Nantucket now. Yeah, And what
1: what that life is like on
2: Nantucket.
0: Can we get that movie or at least like a short film? Well, the weirdest thing about it is, and I think it's just the way that that Christopher Waltz um, or Christoph Waltz played this character and the character itself is I almost kind of wanted to see him have the happy ending and have the house on Nantucket. With the Nazi symbol on his head? But (laughs) no, 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 no. I almost like I almost wanted like no, no Nazi symbol. Just let him go. He did. He did his piece. Well, but then, then, I did remember he was a Nazi, <laughs> so that all went away. I would have. I'm glad them, I didn't teeter too close. I teetered actually a little too close to Nazi sympathizing, oddly enough. I definitely but through think the it would movie.
2: be kind of fun to see like a-, a short film where Aldo finishes the job in in Nantucket, like just on his own, like off books. Like that'd be kind of fun, but yeah.
0: Um Nazi symbol on his forehead. Yeah. He's got to so explain it everywhere he goes. Wears a
2: hat all the time. So. And I bet you I bet you Hans Lana wear Kangles all the time. Kangles that
1: forehead so you can't see it like that. Alright. So we'll leave it there. Let's go to our shared number one.
0: Number one, baby. Who is it? I mean, I know we've alluded to it a bunch of times. I don't know why you had to ask me the question. I felt like we could just gone right into it, but it is uh, Heath Ledger's role as the Joker <laughs> in The Dark Knight. I, I like. I just don't know how we could go anywhere else with that. Really,
1: I d- I don't know either. And there's a couple couple things that I wanted to point out as kind of big picture thoughts to this. I mean, when the movie came out, 2008, damn, it had so much hype surrounding it, both because of the movie itself. It was a sophomore in high school when they came out. I think. 2008 I was a going to be a senior in college that movie maybe I don't know but anyway like so much buzz surrounding it both because of the movie itself and because of the buzz around Heath Ledger's Joker and then the unfortunate thing that he he passed away prior to the movie's release and that just increased the level of buzz and hype around the movie mm. and you know I know Beam you and I were there that Thursday night we were in line at Colony oh, yeah. Center and we were there to watch that movie. We were, we were, we were right there. Um, and I think two of the mm. important things about this movie is it really transcends mm. a lot because of Heath Ledger's character, but it transcends the comic book movie. It's, it's mm. so much more than that. Because like, and, it's
2: just, this movie is more than just a comic book movie in the sense that well, let's, let's start with the very first line of the movie, right? Like three of a kind. Right? What does that mean? Three of a kind is the very first line of that movie.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, three yeah. of a kind.
2: Like when they pick them up, and it's like three of a kind, right? And that that very specific line is very interesting to me because it's about three protect. It's about three people. It's about the Joker. It's about mm-hmm. Harvey Dent. It's about Batman. Mm-hmm. And they are three of a kind. They are all like it's insane the level of like writing that like the and of this movie is just like the Joker is. They're all the same sides of the coin. Like they're like. I know it's three of them, but like it's literally just a, it's the theme. It's like you know, like well, look, but then Harvey Dent yeah.
1: represents both sides of the coin, right? Where you know, but all of them are both sides of the coin. Right. But Harvey Dent's the one who's kind of forced into it,
2: right? And then Joker yeah, and he Batman didn't are be exact that. opposites of each other. Like, but they are on the same coin. Well, they're the that.
1: they're the exact same person, but on opposite sides exactly. of kind of what's good. Which but is they're the exact same person. Yeah, yeah, and, and so that was the thing is it's the juxtaposition of Batman and the Joker and, you know, the level of writing obviously comes from the comic books beforehand and specifically Alan Moore's Mm -hmm. The Killing Joke is kind of one of the main graphic novels that they, they, they mined for this. And, you know, that's the whole thing with the Joker and the Dark Knight or, and and, sorry, and Batman is they are the same exact person, but Batman is, you know, so-called on the right side of the law, whereas mm-hmm. the Joker is someone who breaks the law. And so the whole movie's conflict centers around the Joker trying to make Batman confront his true nature and to break that one rule he has that he won't kill someone. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, that that right. makes it transcend the idea of just a comic book movie. Right. It's so much more than that.
2: Right. I have tons of notes on my phone about The Dark Knight and all of it, and just literally like, this movie's opening starts with six people, grumpy, happy, dopey, chuckles, bus driver, and bozo, right? And they all try to bring down the mob, right? That's the right. whole goal. It's just like Harvey Dent's trying to bring down the mob. They're trying to rob the bank. And by robbing the bank, they bring down the mob. Right, right, And they each kill each other until there's only one left standing, the Joker, right? And so like, think about that in the sense that our our main characters are Lau, Gamble, Maroney, Harvey Dent, the Joker, and the Batman, Right. Like and they each kill each other till there's one left standing, like that's insane to me.
1: Yeah, I mean the I level mean, of just, nuance in it this,
2: is this movie gets me every time I watch it. Like and it, I kind of want to watch it
0: right now. And it holds yeah. up
1: every single time. It, it it gets better and better because you recognize these little nuances in it. And yeah. so I don't want to spend all day talking about it because we literally could could. So yeah. you know I'm just going to go up front and say. Every single scene that the Joker is in mm-hmm. is the most magnetic scene right. up to that point. And so I I literally listed and made notes about every single scene that he's in because each one is so incredibly important. But at the same time, I did want to just whittle it down to like three or four to really talk about in depth. Mm-hmm. Beam, you want to start us off with one of your
0: magnetic scenes that you have this is so tough because I, I like i pretty much most magnetic scenes i think i have the whole movie written now probably the one of the most and probably one of my favorites is the teleconference with the with the all the various criminals in lao when he just makes his his grand entrance like his his first kind of real like speaking part or when we truly know who he is it's just so good and it goes to like one of my favorite quotes where because you hear him they I hear you talk shit about it. And he's just like, by the way, the suit wasn't cheap. You should know you, you bought, bought it. it. And then when he's, and yeah. And then just the other line where just like gamble looks at me and goes, you think you could steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. right there is what I think. Well, there's one other one that
1: I'll get to later, but that oh, I think so is good. the funniest line of the movie. Like this and another one yeah. are so funny. And there's one other one that I want to, highlight from that is if you're good at something never do it for free <laughs> when he when they ask him why he hasn't just killed the batman himself and
2: my, my favorite my favorite scene is just the amount of times he talks about his father but then <laughs> the scene where he breaks up the, the fundraiser and he goes you remind me of my father <laughs> like i always just love the that whole scene where he like goes around like where's harvey dan like you know like that have, you whole scene, yeah, have you seen him yeah like like that whole scene i was just like
0: did On he, like, paper. lift up someone's hat or something? He's like, is he yeah, under
2: there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On paper, that scene is dumb as shit. Oh, yeah. But that physical acting of Heath Ledger and the choices he made in the scene, like, even, like, the stupid, like, grabbing the glass and, like, like moving it so fast that there's nothing left. And he's like... And he just drinks a like, little
1: tiny bit of champagne. It's,
2: again, like, the Joker is in his own movie. Again, like, he's in his own... But that's the thing, like, he... know The Joker, the whole thing about the Joker is that he knows the power of narratives. He knows, like, the power of a story, right? So, like, he knows that his character is playing a character, actually. Like, it's insane. Like, it's almost... It's meta, but it's not meta. It's
1: yeah. No, it's incredible. And so that that's my scene that I wanted to no- nominate. And it actually is, like, a whole sequence of scenes, which might be cheating, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> Joker kidnaps the fake Batman. And there's the news report where he... And this is probably, like, the pure scariest he is when he goes, look at me! Yeah. And then he does that, and then there's the hysterical Joker laugh, which is the yellow teeth.
0: But then you just hear the dude, like, screaming exactly. in the background. and,
1: like, that is, that is the single most terrifying, not necessarily the most magnetic, but then it goes straight into, he organizes hits against the commissioner, the mayor, and the judge, mm-hmm. two-thirds of which are successful, and then he breaks up the fundraiser for Harvey Dent and does all the things that you were just talking about, and the physical acting with the mannerisms, like the licking his lips. Yeah. And then when he, when Batman actually comes out and he does the, well, then you're gonna love me, and then the way he's fighting him with the kicks while he's down and like the wild gesticulations. Like you said, like, on paper, that doesn't work at all, right. but the way that Heath Ledger inhabits the character of the Joker just makes it work. Right,
2: and the way that the Joker fights in itself is so unorthodox that, like, someone who's classically trained, like, Batman, who, if you really want to argue, like, yeah, he has his, like, ninja style, but it's a it's a system, right? And that for Batman to win, the whole theme is to go outside of his system, Right. Which is the whole like cell phone thing, but like right. the Joker fights out uh, outside of Batman's system, which is why he's such a formidable like a villain for Batman. He brings him out of the shadows. He constantly puts him in the spotlight, which is not where Batman is the best.
1: Right. No, and I mean that's that's really the whole point of the movie is he's trying to get Batman to embrace chaos, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get Batman to reveal his true nature, um, whether it's revealing who he actually is. Yeah. Um, in kind of the teleconference or in in the press conference rather, or whether it's by making him kill someone, kill preferably the Joker to show that he's capable of that and show the people of Gotham yeah. that this hero you've embraced isn't actually a hero.
2: Again, the stories we tell each other are lies and that's the whole thing with the Joker that he's creating, he's destroying the narratives and like ultimately that's the great lie of the movie, the, the Harvey Dent law. Is based on right. a lie. Like right. that's the whole, that at the end of the movie, Joker wins because that's the whole point. He reveals to us as the audience that it was a lie.
1: Like right. the people of was, Gotham don't know. Right. He failed in that way, but
0: we know. We know. That's Well, that's also too, like, so one of my favorite, I, I don't know if it would make it into the top quotes. Cause like, there's so many of them that are just like, so pressing. Like it's just, they work so well but um, I took Gotham's White Knight and I brought him down to our level. It wasn't hard. You see madness, as you know, there's like gravity. All it takes is a little push. It breaks down the movie so well in just a couple of lines.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Ah, damn it. I'm going to go home and watch The Dark Knight.
0: I (laughs) I know, right? So
1: the second scene I wanted to talk about with a little bit of depth is when the Joker gets himself arrested on purpose and then escapes. that, That entire sequence. So it starts off Harvey falsely reveals himself to be the batman and as they are transporting him you get the big action scene with the flipping of the 18 wheeler which yeah. as far as action scenes goes holy fucking shit
0: can we also just talk about like it's such a tense scene the build up getting to everywhere that it does and then you see the joker just hang out of the fucking side of the 18 wheeler just like shooting off a machine gun moves on like doesn't he then like move on to a this, handgun and then all of a sudden bazooka And like, it's
2: like, it, what does it say on the side of it? Does it is a slaughterhouse but it says it's like the s is crossed out and it's like laughter house or something like that something oh, like that yeah. i don't know no it is and i
0: just think it's so funny when he draws out the bazooka and it's like okay right now he just keeps upgrading <laughs> well, that, the gun that's the, and...
2: other, <laughs> that's the other thing that i have a theory that like the joker is actually part of the military like he's like actually like there is like hints that he might be military trained, right. and, there, there's, and there's a very specific line that he says that makes me think that it's the, it's the line about the soldiers. like you tell, you tell people that a soldier is going to die of uh, like but like that line makes me feel like there's something more going on under because like that's the first line he says that feels honest. and I'm like, all right, there's something underneath that.
0: That it's all part of the plan. Yeah. It almost feels like a desperation to still, like, hold it together. It almost feels like but for him, a, if, it's if, if the crack, plan... a crack,
2: right? It's a crack. It's a crack, right? No,
0: exactly. If you disrupt his... It's like, you wonder, you disrupt his plans, like, what happens then kind of thing. Yeah, he, Which, I, I, think, I guess I he think sort think of notices... a
2: little bit of who he is.
0: Right. His vulnerability. There's, like, the little bit of vulnerability you can actually have on the Joker. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it seems he's impervious to any of
1: that.
2: Did you bring up the line? Did you...
0: You threaten one little police commissioner and everyone loses their
2: minds. Right. And right. Right. Right.
1: That's the whole idea is that kind of juxtaposition. Everything is according to plan. And, you know, he says that in the scene with um, Harvey and Gotham General, which I want to get to in a minute. But I also want to talk about then oh, when he actually get gets get captured him. and you get the scenes of him in the jail. And there's the scene where. Commissioner or Gordon gets named as police commissioner, and you just get that scene of Dude. Joker just clapping. Bigman. Yeah. And (laughs) just sitting there, and that's really awesome and really incredible. And then there's the interrogation of Batman and Gordon of him. And he says, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? You complete me. Which brings me to one of my interesting things is is the joker a jerry Maguire fan because it seems like he
0: might be <laughs> is this movie actually a rom-com <laughs> yeah it's the yeah it's like uh yeah it's the rom-com we were looking for this is just i mean they tap- have a meet cute they
2: do like they oh god no
0: <laughs> is this movie a rom-com might, i think it, it is actually wow um did wh- we just uncover that it's a rom-com so this, with like, fights is this the one like Christopher Nolan movie that's like a rom com. Right. He doesn't what, have the same chemistry. And instead with of Bane.
2: sex scenes, it's fights. Like,
1: yeah, for sure. I think, I think
0: they like so. it, Ralph.
1: Uh, and speaking <laughs> of, speaking of the fight, like when Batman starts beating the Joker, mm-hmm. the Joker jeeps just keeps enjoying it more and more and he starts laughing and really enjoying it dude, significantly wonderful. as this
0: is a rom-com well it comes from one of my favorite lines too where he's like asking questions like, could you please just give me a minute like and then just slams his head on the table again never start with the head it makes them all fuzzy
1: fuzzy <laughs> and then finally with the escape which again that
2: line right there could be referring to prisoner torture in, in like Afghanistan or
1: Iraq yeah
0: absolutely like and he knows he, he knows it's a,
2: it's a throwaway line but like he might actually know how to torture people and get information.
0: I kind of seem like it does, that he does know that. I feel like you just could, you could just tell. I feel like there's moments where he does get information out of people through torture in the movie. I couldn't.
2: There there are layers to the Joker that I, I don't even think we fully understand yet. Or maybe we're cut out of the movie that we don't understand. But I think there is.
0: You can't just peg him as a villain. There's so much more to him. <laughs> layers. He's a villain. It's like a goddamn under. At the end
2: of the day, he's a villain, but so is everyone.
1: Is
0: right. The point. Yeah. Right. Everyone's the villain, the, and, and he's the just trying to reveal it. And
2: the victims are the people of Gotham at the end of the day, because like, they're the ones suffering. And that's the biggest thing. Is like the whole big. The biggest thing of this story is it's the people. At the end of the day, these giants, these fucking heroes and villains are fighting, but it's the people of Gotham that are suffering.
1: Right. And, and so, it, and,
2: and they find comfort in the lie. Right. Like.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think the last two things I wanted to point out about that scene before we get to the last one is there's the scene where the other cop comes in and this is where you get a sense of just how evil he is. And he says, you know, how many of your friends have I killed? Mm-hmm. And then he just does the mouthing. Six. And it's yeah. just like, That's ooh, so incredibly evil. And then he finally escapes the MCU and he's just hanging his head out the window in a really iconic scene and just kind of flapping his hair and really enjoying it. And it's in that moment that he's thriving on the chaos that he's created. And, it's him really reveling in it, so I, I just love that. That's
2: my most magnetic scene right there.
1: Me too. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll I'll say it up front. I did want to talk about quickly the hospital scene with Harvey. Yeah, it's what
0: iconic. Do, what, what do you got? Well, it's just because like, all right. So it's just the the conversation that he has with Den in there, where Den's shackled, and he, I mean, like the the comic relief of him dressed as a nurse, which is also just hilarious. And then he takes off the mask hi. and he's just, hi. <laughs>
1: That's the other one in addition to the yeah. And it's one little it's, it's a one word line that is so incredibly humorous because of Heath Ledger and his performance.
0: Well then the other, the, I mean so that whole scene, they're back and forth like just, you know, as he does just kind kind of systematically stripping down Harvey Dent down to, you know, basically trying to review exact, reveal exactly who he is and then just basically getting to the core of it in that scene. I mean it's just it's just another really good Keith Ledger delivering the lines as he could, or as the Joker as he could, where it's just at, you know him at his best. Is it the best scene? No, but I, there's just something. As much as like the him hanging out the the car, the cop car is just like so iconic. There's also the him walking away from the from the hospital, which like wasn't there. Maybe I'm wrong, and I'm very willing to be corrected on this. Wasn't it like the hospital didn't explode when so he pressed the he button? Presses
1: it at first, and, and so then he's just, just like starts... messing with it, and like. And then
0: it's also the way that like, he was like just in the moment where like, that's your instinct just to go right to that. And then it works out (laughs) (laughs) perfectly. Even
1: the way he just behaves in that scene and the way he's looking at it, it's just so perfect with the Joker. And then when it does explode, he's like actually surprised and he's like, Whoa. And then starts running away. And while you, while you said it's not, it's not the best or most magnetic scene, but for me, I think it's what reveals the most about him and his true intentions. And
0: he, breaks, this it. he really, breaks it down a bit, yeah. Right,
1: and this really interesting juxtaposition of him because he says, "Do I really look like a guy with a plan?" You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with like if I caught one.
0: Would do things. Which just makes like the scene of him hanging out the cop car, just like going with his hair like a dog does when he and, gets and his it's hair. And it's that yeah. callback
1: to yeah. that, but also at the same time he is. But that's the thing. He does have a plan.
2: That's exactly it. Is like he says he doesn't have a plan, but when he catches the cop car, he sticks his head out of it.
0: And enjoys it. Well, he's yeah. trying to distort the truth in all moments, all too, moments. with his yeah, with, yeah. with his backstory with everything. He doesn't want to reveal. He does. He's trying not to reveal a, a thing about. Yeah, him. and
2: there's little cracks, little slivers little. of him that reveal who he right. is. But, but he's but very only to the at, audience, not right. to the people in the story. Right, right, right. right you know,
1: right. and it's also when he says, "I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are." But he's the ultimate schemer. His whole idea in this whole movie is to. Descend Gotham into chaos to reveal right. who these so-called heroes really are. Right. Are you trying and to tell while, me that he
0: might be a hypocrite? Well,
1: <laughs> I mean, he's just a blatant. I mean, he's not a hypocrite. He knows what he's doing. He's telling lies for right. a purpose. Right.
2: I I think that he's only serving his narrative. Exactly. Like, I, I don't well, think yeah. necessarily he's a hypocrite. I think that he's an agent of chaos, and he's only interested. He doesn't have any philosophy. I think mean, he's just there to prove. Like he's just. There to prove that hit through his chaos, that everyone else is a hypocrite.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's obviously sort of his. Yeah, absolutely, his MO. Um,
2: but then again, we'll never know because there's so much to it. Like we can we can interpret these these moves, these movements, these these lines in any direction.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I think that's what makes the Joker such an incredible character and such this such an incredible movie. Yeah, and elevated by Heath Ledger. And you know, I think. I think we said all of our best quotes
0: just within yeah, all of the realm Actually, of these no, scenes. I, I have a few that I really like too. Okay. The part where he's got, Joker has the hold on Rachel and he's just, and Batman, let her choice, go. Bad choice of words. Very poor choice of words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one other one I did want to say is, all you care about is money. The city deserves a better class
0: of criminal and I'm going to give it to him. Dude, that feels so good. Yeah. It hits so well. It really does. And it's, I just love the Joker so much. So any random like, thoughts and observations on this? So many.
1: I I mean, I could talk about these for days, but I'm not going to Like, if you want
2: to do a podcast specifically <laughs> on The Dark Knight, I'll happily just do a top five best, like, interesting facts. I, I, I have quite a few.
1: <laughs> I, I don't. I think, honestly, some of the random thoughts and observations are just honestly in service to the movie. I think mm-hmm. that you know, while there's a couple things that might be slight flaws, I do think in the end it serves exactly what its purpose is.
3: Hmm.
1: You know, I do have one lingering question, and I think that, I think we kind of already answered it, but I also kind of just want to throw it out there, but, you know, he says I think you and I are destined to do this forever, In the scene Rest in peace, where he is hanging from the building and Batman just leaves him there, so, yeah. you know, I think we answered this already, but I think they obviously were trying to bring the Joker back in that, some way, shape. or that form. That is the
3: rumor
2: that there was a script that there were parts of a script that supposedly I I was too young to care at the time, but there at the time there people said there was a script that leaked that was supposed to be Bane freeing Joker from prison and then taking over Gotham together. And I don't know. I, I never. I've never followed. I remember up on hearing it. about that. Yeah, yeah, I remember there being a rumor. I remember being too young to care about it. Um, because I really didn't get to like really start making movies until
1: 2014. Um, no, for sure. But I think what it leads to is an interesting question about. I think we can all agree that Dark Knight Rises was kind of a disappointing end mm-hmm. to this well, trilogy. No no, 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 no,
2: no. Well, no, I, I, I am not on the team of people saying that Dark Knight Rises is a disappointment. I think it's very different. I think it's never going to compare to joke to Heath Ledger's Joker. I think that. It's still a very good At movie. At some points, Nolan no, may may
0: have went too big, right? Um, but overall, I think that it felt underwhelming just simply because, because of what it, Dark Knight was. It,
2: it made up for this. It made up for the nuance and interestingness of the Joker
1: with scope, and it didn't work. Right, um, and that's but, what I, that's all I'm saying is I'm not right, right, saying right. it was like. I don't think it's a bad movie. movie. No, not at all. I enjoy yeah. the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah I, I really do. I'm sorry for cutting you off. There. No,
2: no, no. <laughs> it went out
0: with a whimper, like kind of thing. Where right. it was still a very good movie, but right. just in terms of the, there was more there. Yeah, right,
1: and when you take it in context as a follow up to the Dark Knight, and I mean, this is always the problem with sequels mm. or trilogies. Anyway, is like, how do you really keep it up after that? And right. so the yeah. question is. Both in terms of that character, you know, if we do bring back the Joker, what happens in The Dark Knight Rises? And is it a more fulfilling end right. to this trilogy? It was
2: never going to be fulfilling in without the Joker. Is the thing. Right. it Right. You can't introduce a character that big. And in, that like, epic. Who's so otherworldly and epic and then just try to end it in a way they, like, it, it, and then it, it, there's no ending it without the Joker. And that's ultimately the the thing that brought down the Dark Knight Rises was that there was no Joker in it, right? Like, and, and and you
0: can't fill the can't tell shoes the of Heath Ledger on that,
2: right? But it, I can see a movie where Heath Ledger and Bane are in the same movie together, and absolutely. It's incredible, absolutely, absolutely, and
1: yeah. yeah. Well, that also just leads me to the kind of larger question of, you know, what did we miss out on as audiences? And obviously, you know, this is a selfish question, you know, mm-hmm. but what did we miss out on? Because of Heath Ledger's untimely passing, this this dude could have been like the Daniel Day-Lewis, like the Robert De Niro, like the Marlon Brando, like a generational defining actor who was really coming into his own with Brokeback Mountain and then The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And Instead, we have a Knight's Tale. (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey, What you think The Night's Tale is like the perfect introduction. I don't know what you are talking a about Night's with the Night's
2: Night's Tale. I Night's am so joking. I just no, saw you are right. Fight, bro, oh God, guns. we will
1: fight right now. But I mean, Heath Ledger's what? What did we miss out on? And <laughs> we miss a lot, man. a lot. It's, and he could have been such an incredible. Which again actor. shows
2: the impact of a life. You
1: yeah, know? like which is absolutely the,
2: like yeah. He's an like again like you know. I try not to vouch for celebrities too much uh because I hate them, Uh but. <laughs> I kind of wish I knew the world we existed with Heath Ledger. Like, it's the same. It's like, I wish I knew the world that existed with Heath Ledger still in it. And also, mm-hmm. I like to imagine the world where uh, Toshiro Mufune took the role of Obi Wan Kenobi. Like, like that would have, like, because he was, I don't know if you guys know who Toshiro Mufune is. Yeah,
1: yeah. From like Seven Samurai. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. one
2: of my favorite actors. Um, but he was originally offered the role of Obi Wan Kenobi, and his agent told him not to take it because it was too cartoonish. And I'm like, dude, if Obi-Wan Kenobi... Tashira Mufune would have taken the role of... Oh, there's, there's so many things. It's like, if Tashira Mufune had taken the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Hiroyuki Sanada could have been Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels, which would have been amazing for me. Uh,
1: but in general...
2: Oh, for sure. I mean... Yeah, it's... it's One life could seriously change the outcome of what we're seeing.
1: That's a great point, is this this movie really is a perfect representation of what we could have had with Heath, Heath Ledger and mm-hmm. what we missed out on and what the value of him as both an actor and a human being was and we missed out on
0: a lot yeah is what it comes agree. to agree yeah fucking fantastic character I mean yeah. fantastic
1: I mean, character fantastic movie yeah I think that that about wraps it
0: up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much guys. I really appreciate you guys
2: having me on here. I mean, I had a really good time and I just want to give you guys a quick shout out because your beer is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) These guys make beer and it's literally, it's not a product plug but It's so good. Well, Well, thank you.
1: And you know, thank you for joining us. I think that
3: it elevated the conversation. Your
1: your insight as a filmmaker really helps us and our audience to understand what we're looking at. And you know, like you said, you, you, you feel it subconsciously, but to hear it put out there is something that's intentional. The biggest job
2: of it, like a director is not supposed to treat people like they're idiots because people are smart. There's a reason why the Godfather is one of the best of the love movies like in the world, because it's a really smart movie and it lets the audience reach its level. And I think that's one of the things I want people to realize is they are smart enough to understand it. People are a lot smarter than we give them credit for.
1: For us, you know, we, we appreciate you coming on and, talking to us like we know and even though we don't but you you help us understand but the thing is
2: like you don't need to know outright you under but the thing is you guys understand whether you know it or not well that's the
0: thing it's like being able now to go back and watch some of these movies with some of the ways that you sort of point out what the director is doing and able to convey that Mm -hmm. message Um, like I always know it's there but it's just like I don't it makes you a more educated film viewer and
1: it helps you helps you pick out some of the more complex films even though you might not get all of them, but it, it helps and it helps educate right. you as a moviegoer, and I think that's important. So, thank you very much for joining us on Appreciate this discussion. I'm I'm sure we'll we'll see you again soon when we please
2: do. Let me know the next time you guys want to do this. I'll be here in a heartbeat. All yes, right, sounds absolutely.
1: good. Thank you all for listening. Join us next time. Not sure what's coming up next, but <laughs> just join us next time. We'll have a discussion and have a good one. Have a great one, guys. Bye.